Yeah, 40 years is crazy to think about. Some of you are farther down that road than I am, and, you know, I think we're thinking of the videos that, you know, our kids had on that, and, you know, for Josh to just, just kiddingly say, you know, you still like each other, you still like to be together. Yeah, and we all know marriages where that's not the case anymore, so I'm just so thankful that Cindy and I have been able to stay on point, and, uh, one of the reasons we've been able to stay on point is because God has, has allowed us to be involved in ministry. and We've been involved in a number of marriages and we walk away from some of those marriages and we think, God, we need to, there's some things there we need to do and build in our own relationship. And then we walk away from some conversations and we think, God, you got to keep us from, from doing, you know, from getting there. How do you stay on point? Whether you're talking about marriage, because some of you have been through the heartache of divorce, and somewhere along that way, you had to have thought to yourself, how do we even get here? How did things change so much that we got here? Or sometimes we think that with our career. You know, man, I had such aspirations. How did I end up here? Or our finances, or our parenting, or school. You know, boy, I had such good intentions at the beginning of the semester or when I started school. What happened? How do you, how do you stay on point? Because it's, it's huge that you stay on point and that you keep coming back to, okay, what's the point? What's the purpose? How do, what's the process? What does God have available to me? What is God's will? All of those things, they keep you on point. And, and more than ever, I realize that's why God has given us this book of Second Timothy, to keep you faithful, to keep you on point for this whole journey of walking with him of growing and having him deal with your stuff and bring out new life in you, of, of his intent to use you in the lives of other people, which is his will for all of us. How do you stay faithful to that? Or, or today what we're going to see in this is, is how do you stay on point? Because you stay faithful by staying on point and realizing early on that, wait a minute, we're, we're a little off here, you know, you get your tire aligned and you find out, man, you've been driving, wearing out this tire. It, it's been out of alignment. And periodically, you just need to constantly come back to the spirit and just say, am I out of alignment? Am I on point? Have I digressed from that? And so this whole book has been, this whole book has been about keeping us on point and keeping us faithful to our journey. There are people that are, that are no longer walking with Jesus. There are people that are no longer part of Cottage Hill. Not that, not that people have or led on to other churches at times, but people that are just, they're just out there now. And what happened? They stopped being on point at some, at some uh, place in the journey. So I want you to turn with me to, to 2 Timothy, and, and I want to watch what God put that to us. He's put it in his forever book. We're in 2 Timothy 2, and, and I want to start reading in verse 14. And, and you know, Second Timothy, if you, if you studied the Bible much, it's Paul's last book. So he loves Timothy. He's always concerned for him. But he knows this, is, this might be the last conversation he gets with him. And so all the more important. So he says in Second Timothy 2.14, he says, remind them of these things. So you've got to go back and see, well, what things? And he said in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. 
For if we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, of these core things. And remind them of these things and charge them before God. So I'm going to stop there for a second too because it hit me this week that, that we all love to be reminded. We love to come to church. We love to worship. We love to sing these songs because they remind us that, yeah, God is a good father and he loves you. And even if you've had a terrible week, he loves you. Even if you brought the terrible week on yourself, he loves you and he's going to be good. And if you hand it over to him, he's going to reroute you into goodness. We love to sing that. We love to sing how faithful he is. We love to sing about what the promises are and that the promises are true. The, the question becomes, not just for worship, but especially now in this moment, does God have permission to charge you things? We charge some of your translations are going to use the word command, which is really kind of what it means. Remind them of these things and charge them, command them. So if we get anywhere in this word, in what, God, what I believe God is saying to us today about staying on point, it's going to be because you allow God to command you through me. I never really thought of that before. I mean, we've thought that you, you know, I'm preaching and preaching what God's put on my heart from God's word, and if it's accurate to the word, then you need to do it. But can you, can you allow God to command you through me? Can you receive it in that way that, okay, this God, you are telling me what to do. You're just using Pastor Jeff to do it. And if I'm true to the text, then, that, then that's what's happening. He could have said to Timothy, charge is a pretty strong word. You know, I'd say to, we'd say to the kids, hey, why don't you go up and clean your room? Sometimes if it needed to be amped up a little bit, listen, I am telling you to go up and clean your room. We never got to the, I'm commanding you. And we certainly never ever got to, I charge you to go clean your room. I mean, Timothy and Paul have a very close relationship. They're very, you know, Paul looks at Timothy like a son. In chapter 4, he could tell Timothy, listen, don't forget to preach the word. He could have just told him that. Look in chapter 4 how he says that instead. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Wow, that's amped up. That is amped up. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, charge you by his appearing, and I charge you by his kingdom, preach the word. Timothy felt that one. He felt that one. And so you'll see, you'll see that sometimes in, in the scriptures and in the letters. I charge you. And so if you're going to stay on point, if, if you're going to be protected from veering off, or, you know, we're foolish if we don't assume some of you, you're veering off and you know it, and you're not worried about it, or you're just going to let it go so far, or some of you, you're veering off and, and you're not even aware of it. If you're going to stay on point, you're going to have to receive what I'm saying from God's word as a command to you because that's how God's laying that out. And really, so much of your walk with Jesus and so much of your effectiveness with Jesus is going to come down to that. Did you give God permission to command you through people? Because our whole journeys, God is putting people in our lives to command us based on what the word says. If we give them permission to command us, if we give God the right to command us, and, and of course we would all say yes to that, but God typically commands us through people using his word. And so, yeah, just before we go anywhere, that's a question you've got to answer in your mind. 
God, I give you permission to, to use Pastor Jeff to command me what it is you're saying to me today. Make sure it's from the word so that it's just not me veering off. But if it's from the word, then this is what he says. Not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So he's gonna, I feel like God is speaking to us there, but how do you stay, how do you stay faithful? How do you stay on point? And the first thing he points out, is says that a couple times, you stay on point by avoiding the pointless, those pointless things. He says in Radica, don't quarrel about words. The Greeks, they love, uh, the Greeks, they love to debate. When, when Paul is in Athens, he's got a new idea, they want to talk about it. The Jews, they love to debate. And they love to, to figure things out that didn't really matter. Remember, they come to Jesus and they say, so Jesus, this, this guy married this woman, and then the guy died, and according to law, his brother has to marry the woman, so they have a child in the brother's name. But the next brother died. You know that story? And then the next brother, and the next brother. And finally, the black widow dies also. So when you get to heaven, whose wife will she be? Those are the things the Jews wanted to talk about. I was thinking to myself, what are the things that are important? Is this going to help me know Jesus better? Is this going to help me know what Jesus wants me to do better? Is this going to help me serve people better? I mean, those are the kind of conversations. Is this a good conversation? I mean, we can talk... We're going to have Rex, Sox, and, and Patriots, but when we, get, when we get to talking about Jesus and the Word, we ought to be going somewhere. In, in the course of, of witnessing to people over the years, I've been asked if Adam had a belly button. Uh, I've been asked if, really, people have asked me this in the context of, I need to answer these things if they're going to consider Jesus seriously, which is kind of my answer. Seriously? <laughs> that comes down to you? Uh, when God created the world, did trees have rings in them already? Uh, who did Cain marry? Because in these days, if a brother and sister produce a child, there's genetic problems with that child. I, I mean, unfortunately, all three of these questions came from the same, same guy I was working with one time. It's Really, what do you, do you come up with these at night? Do you think about these things? <laughs> hey, here's one. Did God know who was going to be saved and chose them, or did God just choose people before they knew? I don't know. I see, well, I see kind of scripture kind of pointing both ways in there. But I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to be drawn in into those kind of things. Paul goes to Corinth, which is a Greek city, and the Greeks love to debate. And so he says to them, when I came, I just decided I wasn't going to know anything about you except Jesus and the fact that he was on the cross. If you want to talk about other things, I was just going to keep trying to bring it back to Jesus and, and what the cross meant for you. And so if you're going to stay on point, you're going to have to avoid the pointless, those pointless discussions, because somehow they begin polarizing people. If you're going to stay on point, it means you're going, to need, you're going to know the main point well. And so he says to Timothy, this is the official verse of Moody Bible Institute, just to, in trivia, in verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If you're going to stay on point, it's going to be because you know the main point well. So do your best. There's a number of phrases in here you've got to step on to stay on point. Do your best that what you do for Jesus, what you do in your relationship for Jesus to cultivate that and, and to serve him ought to be your best, not your leftover or not something you're trying to squeeze into the rest of your life. Being a child of God, being a Christian defines your whole life and it defines everything you do in this life. And so that effort ought to be your best effort. Sometimes I'll have conversations with people and they'll just tell me how disappointed they are in, in God or how disappointed they are in church life, but, and they're not really invested in God or invested in church life. And so he says, do your best to present yourself to God. God, here I am. I'm just presenting myself to you as what? As a worker. That's how, that's how God looks at us, as a worker. Not as a believer or as a child, though we are. I'm here as a worker. How do you stay on point? One of the ways that has helped me as a husband is working with other people's marriages. You stay on point by working. If you, you want to stay on point with the gospel, when you are sharing the gospel with people and they have questions, don't you find yourself in the more, word more often than other times? Or if you're walking with someone in discipleship, you're going to be in the word. If you can get into your mind, if we can live with the reality that we are workers, that's what we've been saved, to be workers for the sake of the kingdom, we will stay on point. And he just calls them to do his best to do that. A worker that doesn't need to be ashamed. When are you ever ashamed? When you didn't do what you're supposed to do. I'm thinking back of school days, or maybe you're showing up at work, there's a project, or wherever that is. You were ashamed when you hadn't done what you're supposed to do, or you didn't do it the way that it was supposed to be done. Didn't you hate it when you get to, if you get to college and you found out, listen, this is the way we do our papers. We do it according to the whatever, the different. I think when I was there, it was Turabian. You had to write your papers according to Turabian, and then Josh had to write his papers according to some other standard. This is how the indents had to be and all of that. You know, you didn't do it the way it was supposed to be done, or you didn't do it when it was supposed to be done. And so you're ashamed and you're embarrassed. And so he's telling, he's telling us as workers, you want to work and you want to stay on point and you want to do what you were supposed to do when it was supposed to be done, the way that it was supposed to be done. So you're not ashamed or you're not embarrassed when it comes time to stand before God and have him evaluate the whole thing. So do your best to present yourself to God that way. And, and, and the way you will do that is by rightly handling the word of truth, by making it straight, by making it accurate which speaks to how important it is for you and I not just to have a, a 10 or 15 minute uh, time in the word in the mornings of God, just give me an inspiration for today. 
Give me something that I can use for today. You've got to know the story. And you've got to know the key pieces of what we believe because that's what people are, are asking you. If you're in conversation with someone tomorrow and they want to know why exactly you believe that Jesus is the only way, they're not so much going to want to know about that moment of inspiration that yesterday morning. They're going to want to know how does this fit and how does it make sense. That's rightly dividing the word of truth. You stay on point when you know the point well, when you know the story well, when you're ready to, for an answer like, like Peter would tell when his life is coming to an end. When you, you study enough to have an answer, whether you're taking classes, whether you're just reading the word and putting it together for yourself, the more you know this word, the safer you're going to be and the more you're going to stay on point. It's, that word for rightly dividing, it means to cut a straight path. When they translated the Old Testament into Greek, they used this word in a verse that, that you all know. It says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It's this word. That God will make your path straight. He'll keep you from veering if you acknowledge him and if you handle the word well, then, then you will stay on point. So then, he, then he goes on to this next point, or actually there's a verse in Thessalonians I wanted to pick up on. When Paul writes the Thessalonians, they're pretty new. He says to them, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We've been entrusted with the gospel. And so we're just saying what God wants said. We're saying what he wants said, and we're saying it the way that he wants said. You, you know the word, you know the point well. And so that's going to keep you on point. And then he comes to his next point, And he says, you've got to avoid the pointless. It's interesting, you're studying the passage, you're saying, okay, did we already come to this point? We did, but Paul comes back to it. He says in verse uh, 16, but avoid irreverent babble. It'll lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened, and they are upsetting the faith of some. They are flipping people's faith. So you have to avoid those, you have to avoid that. There's some pretty strong words he's going to use when it comes to pointless discussions. Hymenaeus and Alexander, they said that the resurrection has already come. And one of the ways they think that teaching would have gone was that in the Greek world, in Greek philosophy, the body was an evil thing. And so the idea that God would bring the body back to life made no sense. But the spirit was the heart of you. And so there was some early, early heretical teaching that said, really, what's coming back is your spirit. It even morphed into the sense that when you were baptized and raised up, you know, to walk in new life, like Romans talks about, that was your resurrection. There's no future resurrection. You've already experienced it when you came to faith in Jesus and, and the spirit came in you and brought you from death to life. You can imagine everybody that's like the Thessalonians, everybody's thinking, well, wait a minute, if there's a resurrection, I'm going to get to see my mom again. I'm going to get to see people that have loved Jesus that have already died. I'm going to see them again, right? Right. But not, not now, not if this teaching is true, not if there's no physical resurrection because we all know that the body is bad. And one of the things that gets you off point is when you try to marry things that you grew up believing or things that you always believed or things that just seem right to you with what God says. You know, some of you grew up Catholic, some of you grew up atheist, some of you grew up liberal, congregational, like I did, some of you might have grown up Muslim. When you try to marry things that you've always just assumed were true or believed were true with what the Bible says, instead of just laying those things down before the Bible, then you start to veer off. 
because that's what's happening. Jesus says resurrection, but I've always thought that there can't be a body resurrection, so how do we, how do we bring those things together? And, and let me tell you, we're living in a culture that's pressuring us to bring what we believe together with what they believe, and, and that just never works. You can't do that. And so Paul's telling us to avoid that. It's being flipped. And there's an interesting word in here, and, and I'm not sure if this is why it's here, but it makes an interesting point for us. Look at how it says about Hymenaeus and Alexander. It says in verse 18, they have swerved from the truth. You swerve to miss something. You know, you're driving home, there's a dog in the road, and so you swerve and you go into the other lane and then you get back in and everybody's heart rate comes back to normal. You swerve to miss something. You know, we've been on vacation. If you're in somebody's boat, they usually will have somebody in the front of the boat saying, hey, just keep an eye out for any rocks or any floating logs. Why is that? Because we don't want to hit them. We want to swerve around them. You swerve to avoid. And sometimes we swerve because the word says something that, that we don't want. Or we swerve because it doesn't make sense in our experience. Uh, for instance, I remember, I remember reading about William Barclay. William Barclay was an old British uh, believer, educator, smart man, wrote a series of commentaries in the New Testament that are wonderful. They have great background. But I remember... I was using him one time, and he gets to, I think it's in Luke 8, the widow of Nain. This widow's son has died. Jesus goes to the funeral procession as it's going out. He touches the son, and he comes back to life. And William Barclay says, the miracle there is that Jesus was the only one who recognized the son had sleeping sickness and brought him back before they buried him. So this story that I read said that William Barclay, his daughter died while she was young. And he couldn't get past the fact that God didn't do something to protect his daughter, to preserve his daughter. And so what did he do? He swerved. He swerved around the truth that sometimes deeply grieving things are going to happen that we can't understand. And yet God can still be true and all-powerful and faithful and able to resurrect the dead. He, he, he swerved around the supernatural because of something in life that happened to him. That's pretty common experience. Something in life happens to us and we swerve around the truth. Uh, sometimes it's even, I, I can't become closely involved with people because I've been really wounded. So I swerve around those verses that tell me how deeply involved I've got to be in other people's lives. You swerve around that. Hey, can you just pray these next couple days and just ask God to reveal that to us? Because I think that's so easy for us to do. And it's something we miss doing entirely. So just take some time. Just, God, is there a truth that I've kind of swerved around? You know, maybe it's an important truth, but it's minimized to you because, because of what it might mean or what it might, or what it might cost. You know, I want to avoid, I want to avoid uh, the pointless, but I don't want to avoid the essential. I don't want to avoid the essential. I don't want to adjust my life around what's happened to me or around what it might cost me. I want to adjust my life to what you say. And so they swerved. They, they went out of their way to miss something. And that's the problem. You miss something when that happens. And so if you're going to stay on point, again, you've got to avoid the pointless. Here's another one. He comes back around. He says, if you want to stay on point, if you want to stay unfaithful, then there's going to be, you're going to be wanting to be a pointer. I'm trying to keep this point theme just because it's easier to, re to remember, not so much to be cute. 
You want to be a pointer. You want to be involved in the process of helping people know the word and walk in the word. If you are involved in that process, like I was saying earlier, it will keep you on point because you don't dare get off point. That's some of the pressure Pastor Ted and I feel. We better stay on point because if we go off point, it's easy for the whole church to go off point. And if the whole church goes off point, then we stand all the more accountable before Jesus on that. So, so if you want to be, if you're willing to be a pointer, if you're willing to be someone that's showing other people what the truth is, that will keep you on point. If you're helping other people find God's will for your, their life, more, more, more likely you're going to stay on point with what God's will is for your life. So listen to what he says in, in verse 20. In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what's dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. That, that, that's what happens in a great house. In a, in a new house, in a normal house, like a lot of us grew up in, there aren't those options. I, I was trying to think, I meant to check with you before service on this. When we, got, when we got married, we got all these wedding gifts. We moved into our first apartment. We lived up in Manchester, New Hampshire for a year, and then we went down to Dallas. If we said to Pete, you know, if I said to Pete, hey, what dishes do you want to use tonight? She would say, is it Corningware? Is that the basic stuff? What was the, the dishes everybody had? It was Corningware, yeah. Does anybody else remember Corningware? It's just basic. That's what you had. What do you want to have for dinner tonight? Let's use the Corningware dishes. Okay. Hey, we're having company tonight. What dishes do you want to use? The Corningware? Why is that? Because that's all we had was corningware. You know, if you're coming over and it's Thanksgiving, corningware. Fancy napkins, but corningware. You know how that went. And then after a couple of years in Dallas and they got a promotion and her boss's were, wife worked for the World uh, the Dallas Trade Center, I think it was, and we got some nice dishes. And so we're coming, you know, you, you would have known then what we thought of you based on corningware or nice dishes, where that was. It was the nice dishes. It's Thanksgiving. Let's use the nice dishes. So he says, in a great house, that stuff happens. They have gold or silver, or they have the wood and clay. And again, you can sense what that is. What's really interesting, the word vessels, they would use pretty broadly. They would use that as furniture. If, if you come to our house, in our house, we have, some of you talked to Cindy's Aunt Gay, her mom's sister on the phone. We have this, this little writing desk that was gays, and when they moved uh, out west, they let us have that. We have uh, my mom's Queen Anne uh, desk that I remember as a little kid was so cool, had little drawers and little doors in it, and, and uh, none of my brothers wanted it, so I've got that. At our house, we've also got a toilet, and then in the basement, we've got this sink that the, dish, that the washing machine empties into, and then in our TV room, we've got this stool that doesn't match anything, but it's kind of convenient to put your feet on. If you were to come back as furniture, I'm not teaching that, I'm just saying, okay? If you were to come back as furniture, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? Because that's what Paul's saying. In a great house, there are things that have a really honorable use. It's the china. And we, you know, we're just at a point now, we have some pieces of Cindy's uh, grand grandparents' china. Uh, we have uh, goblets that were my grandparents. They're over 100 years old. They're just so special to bring out. They're etched with my grandfather, who I never knew, his initials. That is special. We also have these really cruddy plastic spatulas that we probably should replace. In a great house, there's honorable use, there's dishonorable use. 
What's really interesting, in God's house, you get to choose. Because he says, in verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself from what's dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. See, you know, sometimes we get into that. Uh, if, you know, if, I, if God had called me to be a pastor, I could have really done things for the kingdom. Yeah, that's discounting that, no, God has got you right where you are, so you could do great things for the kingdom. It's just how cleansed you are and how available you are. And that's what he says at the end, you'll be useful, a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, special. You just, you know, by cleansing yourself, getting rid of the things that he needs to get rid of, bringing in things that need to be rid of, uh, that need to be brought in, you'll be special, you'll be holy. You'll be useful to the master of the house and you'll be ready for every good work. And so God has something he needs. He has somebody going through things and he needs somebody. And you know how that is? You say you're talking about something. I think there's this thing going wrong with a car. And, and one of you says to the other, ooh, why don't we ask this person? And you get this, ooh. You know that moment? Ooh, the toilet's plugged. Oh, why don't we invite this person? Over? Ugh, not sure. Not sure about them. You don't want... You don't want God to be thinking that of you. But that's kind of what the passage says. You want to be that person that the Spirit, however that goes on in heaven, we've got this, we've got this person, they're close to being saved. Who can we bring in to help them take the next step? Well, this person, oh, oh, not sure they're there. You don't want to be that person in the heaven's discussion. You want to be, here are these three things, you, holy, set apart, special, you want to be useful to the master of the house, you want to be ready. That's how you stay on point, by wanting to be a pointer, by leaving here and thinking, God, hey, I really do want to be used by you. I want to be involved in this process, especially because that's going to keep me faithful. That's going to keep me on point of where I need to be in every area of my life, in my marriage, in my family, at work, in your kingdom. That will keep me on point, the fact that I wanted to be involved in the pointing process. Don't let yourself go in that whole area. Well, I don't know about my gifts. I don't know my personality. I don't know if I'm the person. God will, he will forge a place for you that incorporates all of that if you believe that, if you believe that he'll do that. So that's how you stay on, that's how you stay on point. And then the next point that he makes, by how do you stay on point? By avoiding the pointless. <laughs> you feel like, have we already been here? We've been here twice already, but he comes back to that again making this huge point to us it is so easy to get off off point so easy to veer off and to study things that don't matter to discuss things that don't matter that are not going to help you grow in jesus or serve his purposes and so he says it yet again in verse 22 flee youthful passions he's not just talking about sexual temptation he is talking about sexual temptation but not just that youthful passions can include man i want to i want to make a lot of money I want to have a lot of nice stuff. I don't want to have corningware. I want to have better stuff than corningware. I want to get on a career track. Those are all youthful passions. Not all of them are wrong, but all of them can get in the way and, and make you veer off. And so he says, flee from those things and pursue righteousness. I want to be right where you got. I want to be right where you want me to be. If you're right where God wants you to be, your faith is going to be built up. Your love is going to be deeper for people, people that are easy to love, people that are not so easy to love. You're going to have peace, as, as God put on Pastor Ted's heart. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, because that's never done alone. It's done in community with people. 
have nothing to do with foolish ignorance controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And so here, here you are again that he would just say that to you. Avoid those quarrels. Have those times in your life we say, you know what, this discussion really isn't, it's not going anywhere, and it really isn't any value, so we should talk about something else. Or you should just leave the discussion, or you should just leave the, you should just leave the online chat, whatever, wherever it is that, that's happening. God is telling you three times, he's commanding you actually three times, just walk away from those things. Don't get drawn into them. It's easy to get drawn into them. A lot of the discussion, you realize, wait a minute, I don't really care about this discussion. It's really not doing anything for me. That might be politics, and we're still living in a crazy political day. It might be global warming. We're living in a crazy day on that. And so he talks to us even how to live in the midst of that. Here's this last thing that he tells us. He says, to kindly correct the pointless well. That you and I, if we're workers who don't need to be ashamed, and if we're servants of the Lord, we're going to kindly correct people well. So he says in verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach because you're rightly handling the word of truth, able to teach patiently enduring evil because evil things are going to be done to you and said about you if you present the truth, not just by unbelievers, yeah, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now watch what's really happening on the other side. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Boy, boy that helps me have perspective that that's really what's going on. Some of these believers that have got so caught up in, in, uh, in pointless things, in discussions that aren't going to take them where God wants them to go, they've been captured by the evil one lured away by doubts or lured away by new teaching or a new angle, lured away and now captured. And what do they need? They need God to step in and grant them repentance. Boy, that really helps me in my approach to them. That they're not, what is the matter with you? How could you do this? How, what are you doing? You're, you know, you're so off. Cindy, Cindy was reading me this thing from Facebook last night. I don't know if you remember... Some of you might remember Josh Harris who wrote the book I Kissed Aiding Goodbye. Evidently, he's also kissed his wife and his faith goodbye now. He's veered off. He's veered off. Somehow, he is veered way off. You're kind of in that land of let him who thinks he stands be careful so that he doesn't fall. So what do you do with someone like that? You could do a rant on Facebook. You could, you could exclude him. We could talk about how unspiritual he is or all all these other people that used to be, we could do that, or we could do what Scripture says, and we could be kind and enter into that and bring the truth back to their life because the truth's never changed and God's heart's never changed. You notice how a couple times he's kind of come around to the spirit of that. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone. And at the end of verse 25, correcting with gentleness. That's how we're to engage in these conversations with the lost people around you, kindly and gently and with the truth. That's how we ought to be known. You ought to have people say, you know what, I don't agree with you, but I appreciate the way you make your point. I don't, I don't agree with you at all. In fact, I think it's terrible what you believe, but I know you care about me. You know, that ought to be the, the testimony that we have. That will keep you on point 
if, because if you get drawn into it and if you trade insult for insult or animosity for animosity, that is going to take you off point. But if you can stay committed to, Lord, I, would, I just want to show your kindness because Jesus was incredibly kind. He was straightforward, but he was always kind. The, the Pharisees say to him, why do you hang around? I remember Pastor Ted read the prodigal son story. One translation says, why do you hang around with such riffraff? And he says, well, let me tell you three stories about a guy that lost his sheep, about a woman that lost an important wedding coin, and about a father that lost a son. That's a great story. But when Jesus comes back around and talks about the older brother, he's talking to the Pharisees. And what, that story ends with the father going out to the older brother and begging him to come in. Jesus is incredibly direct with the Pharisees, but he's always inviting them in. That's why it's interesting in the book of Acts when it tells you that Pharisees and priests are being saved. Why was that? Because they knew that this Jesus cared for them and was gentle with them. You will stay on point if, you, if you're correcting the pointless well. Look at how Jude puts it at the end of the New Testament days. He says, And have mercy on those who doubt, snatching others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by flesh. God, I hate what they've gotten into. I, I don't want to get anywhere close to what they're doing. But man, I want to step in and try to snatch them because they've been captured by the evil kingdom. They've been captured by Jesus. They've been captured over by Satan. I, I got to beg you to do this point because I can't tell you how many conversations I'll have and, and I'll be told, this is where they were and I had a chance, I saw them, but I didn't want to say anything. Say something. Say something. Because if, you're, if we're back up and where you want to be involved as a pointer, if you're holy and useful to the master and ready for every good work, he's put you in that conversation to say something. Maybe you don't know exactly what to say. You don't feel good that you have all the verses to quote, but you can say to somebody, I really think you're going to regret the direction you're going. I really think that, I really think that your doubts, you need to talk to somebody about your doubts. I really think, though, that you still should come to church. I really think you need to, you need to be committed to saying something. You can say something without coming across as a judge. Even if you might be called, oh, don't be so judgmental. Now you're back in this passage with patiently enduring evil. You are so judgmental. No, I'm just trying to tell you God's heart for you and God's truth for you. Say something. You know, there's, there's, there's two sides to this point, isn't it? To be kind and to be gentle, but to be correcting. To be willing to step in and correct people that are missing the point whether they're our brothers and sisters who, who are veering off or whether they're people that are, that are not yet saved so that we can see them set free. Boy, that's the word of the Lord for us. The word of the Lord is that you will stay, you will stay faithful if you stay on point. And the best way for you to stay on point is to avoid veering off into discussions that don't help you know Jesus, know what Jesus has for you, wants to do with you, you stay away from things that don't help you serve. If you'll avoid those kind of conversations and just stay on point with what Jesus wants done. Being in the word, so you're equipping in the word. Having as part of your prayer life, God, I want to be used by you. I want to be, I want to be someone that you look to and say, I can put them in, I can put this person in the right situation. I can use them. And I want to do that kindly. Those things keep you on point. If you stay on point, you're going to stay faithful. If you stay faithful, you're going to experience all that Jesus has for your life. Isn't that what you really want? So let's stand together. Let me pray over us. Yeah. 
I believe we all know people that have veered off point. So I'm going to just give you a moment just to, to pray, just to lift up some of their names, just in the quietness of your heart, just say, God, I just, I pray for this person. Sometimes we need to repent. I get so frustrated with them. Yeah, I, can't, I get so frustrated with some people to the glory of God. They don't know that I'm frustrated, and it's a godly frustration, but they don't know that. So go ahead and say that to God if that's where you are. But let's just lift up to him a couple of names. God, would you deliver them from being captured? Would you break the, break the blindness and cut through the deception? Give them your names, yeah. Father, first of all, we pray you protect us we are all veerable. I would just lift up some of my brothers and sisters who in the course of the, the message realized they have veered off. And thank you that you make it so obvious to us. We just, we just come back. You're welcoming, you're ready to go. We just come back. I pray that would happen. I pray somebody that's swerving today because of what's in front of them that you might take the wheel and they just lay that down before you, Lord. They know what the issue is. They know what the calling is and, or the wound. And I pray that you would just heal that so that the way can be straight. Pray these would be days, Lord, where we see people coming back. We're talking about what the Spirit can do. And the Spirit can cut through the deception and bring people back. We know we're living in the last days before you come, Jesus. And you said that the love of people would, would grow cold and... You said that there would be a great falling away. And uh, you say people be lovers of themselves, as we'll see in our next time here. But we believe that the Spirit can still cut through that. And so we pray for people who used to be here, Lord, and they used to be, they used to be part of what blessed us, who just veered off. Would you bring them back? Protect us, bring them back, and then, Lord, use us. We are available to be used for the kingdom. For, this, for the purposes of the kingdom, of seeing people grow in Jesus and walk in Jesus. And so use us this week with people that are far from you or people that just need to take the next step for you. Use us so that we stay on point. And the point is to bring you glory, Jesus. So that's what we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, the prayer team is, is up here. If there's an issue that you're wrestling with, if you feel like you're drifting off and just want somebody to pray over you, wherever that is, you're carrying a burden, take advantage of the team. Otherwise, have a great, great week serving the Lord.